How's everybody doing today? I know it's a little rainy outside, but we're glad that you are here today. My name is Steve Husky, and I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church. And as always, we just want to say it's our privilege to have you here. For all of our Faith Church family, glad that you're here this weekend. And uh, it's a, it's a great, it is a great weekend in spite of what it looks like outside. And also, man, for all of our VIPs, all of our first-time guests, thanks for hanging out with us. We hope today, for all of us, whether it's your first time or you're here all the time and whether you're here in present or you're watching online, we hope that God will speak to your heart. He'll change your life. We believe with all of our heart that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so, man, just open up your heart. Allow God to speak to you, change you, challenge you as we get into today's message. So, I got good news or maybe bad news, but I got an announcement. Mowing season has begun. Woo! See, I said good news or bad news because depending on who you are, some of you, that's great news. Because some of you, um, and I would describe you differently, but for some of you, it's good news because lawn care and taking care of the yard, it's therapeutic. Anybody here like you like it, like you like getting out? Ushers, remove them all. Just remove them all. It's good news. People look forward to this season, like getting out, like the fresh air, like the, like the smell of, of f- uh, freshly cut grass and um, gas, <laughs> gas and grass. <laughs> Uh, but for some of us, some of us is bad news because, man, we hate yard work. Some of us here, we, we despise this time of the year. We love the warm weather. We love the sun shining. But the responsibility that comes with this season of having to get out and take care of your lawn is, someone said it this way, that it is, one, it is a frustrating um, and soul-devastating uh, soul, um, time suck. <laughs> that, man, it's just this, you got to go waste this time and... It's incredible. Think about it. To maintain your lawn, think about all of the things it takes to maintain a lawn. You have to mow it and aerate it and fertilize it and water it and put pesticides on it. And I mean, think about all of the resources it takes to maintain our lawns. I did just a little bit of research, and I think it's important. This will help us today where we're going. When I talk about all of the resources it takes to maintain our lawns, They say it takes 9 billion gallons of water a day to water our lawns, a day, that we spread 90 million pounds of fertilizer a year, 78 million pounds of pesticides every year. To put it in perspective for us personally, I would say it this way, that uh, the average family, the average household spends about $1,400 a year maintaining their lawn, $1,400. Fourteen hundred dollars to maintain our lawn, and the average household spends between seventy and hundred hours a year maintaining a lawn. Now I don't know about you guys, but you know, to spend twelve to fourteen hundred dollars and, and spend you know seventy to hundred hours a year taking care of some grass—that's a lot. Does anybody here agree? That's like when you put it in perspective. That seems like a lot to get some fresh-cut grass. I could, I could think. Let's just say this: I could think of better ways to spend. $1,200 in 100 hours. But here's a question. I, I want us to kind of, this is kind of a teaser, but I want us to really be serious about this for a second. Like, it begs the question of how important and how valuable is our grass? Like, think of it this way. If there were an alien race, and if they, if they traveled here to our planet, and if they did a human study, think about this for a minute. They didn't ask us questions. We, we couldn't qualify it with our words. And all they did is they looked at how 
we invested and spent so many resources on taking care of our lawns, what would their conclusion be, right? So if they flew here and they hung in the sky and they watched the time we spend, the money we spend, right, pushing the fertilizer and mowing the lawns and weed whacking and edging, think about all the stuff. If they looked and they watched all of the resources that we invest in maintaining our lawns, which again, if you didn't catch where I fall, I fall in the hate to do it. Well, I'm kind of a mix because I hate the process, but I love the product. Come on. I got to be honest. I get some self-satisfaction from some lines in my lawn. But what would be the conclusion that an alien race would come to if all they did was watch about the amount of resources that we invest in lawn care? I know it's kind of an out there question, but think about it. Maybe, maybe their conclusion would be, hey, this race, the human, like, that's their God. Like, that's what they worship. Look how much time they spend on it. Look how much money they invest in it. Look how they go out and manicure it. And they hire third-party people to come in and make sure it's green and it's right. That must be their God. I wonder if they would look and maybe say there's some kind of symbiotic relationship like, they give to the lawn, and the lawn somehow gives back. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, it's kind of outrageous. It's kind of a little bit ludicrous. But really, all of us in this room, especially for us that really don't like lawn care, think about all the time, all of the money, all of the resources we pour in just to maintain our lawns. I think where we invest and how much we invest resources in says a lot about what we value. In fact, I would say it this way, we put our treasure in what we treasure. Come on, everybody. We put our treasure in what we treasure. That's true across the board in everything we do. Show me what you value in your life, and I'll show you where you're putting your resources. Or I could flip it this way and say, you don't even have to tell me what you value. If I hang out with you and I see where you're investing your time and where you're investing your money, where you're spending your bling, where you're putting your resources, if I would hang out with you and I would watch you, I could say this is what you value because you're putting your resources in what you value. You're putting your treasure in what you treasure. Like it's just obvious. It just follows a path. Here's the challenge that all of us face as Christ followers is that when we come to Christ, part of our spiritual journey, part of us being a Christian or a Christ follower, part of our journey is learning to adjust our values. Come on, because there's some stuff before you came to Christ that was really valuable. Come on, Saturday nights, really valuable. Hanging out with the people, really valuable. Getting your swerve on, pretty valuable. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, getting a swerve on. It's, it was valuable, right? How many people you could sleep with had some value to it. How much money you could put in the bank has value to it. Like being a Christ, being outside of being a Christ follower has a certain set of values that this world values. And when you come to Christ, some of those values shift. Come on, everybody say shift. There's some stuff that you used to value that I think we need to let go of. And there's some stuff that we never value that we need to embrace because God wants us to start valuing what he values. You want to know what it means to be a Christ follower? It's not showing up and sitting in a building and listening to a sermon. It's starting to love what God loves. So what does God love? What, what does he value? Well, we find it in, um, in a story that takes place. Pastor Adam actually just preached on this six weeks ago. So I'm not going to spend too much time setting this up because I'm going to get on the hind end of this uh, where I really want to go. But there's a story that happens where Jesus really tries to qualify what God values. Because again, as a Christ follower, we should value what he values. 
We should treasure what he treasures, and we find out what it is. Check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 is, again, the parable. It's a story Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Like, what's a guy got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Jesus, like in epic fashion, answers a question with a question. Basically he's saying the, the question to your answer of how do you find eternal life, it's found in the law. It's found in the Old Testament. So you're an expert in the law. You tell me, what's the law say? So this expert answers. The man answers, here's the answer. Here's what God's law says to them about how they get eternal life. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. Come on, y'all shout this with me. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, come on, everybody shout that word. Right. That's it. That's what God values. God values us valuing him and valuing each other. God wants our treasure to be him. He's our greatest treasure. He's our greatest resource. He's the one that we invest in. He's the one that we chase. And not just him, but each other. Come on, everybody. That what we're called to treasure is God and people. As Christ followers, you don't have to do this. I mean, I think there's, there's some of us, we may naturally do it. You don't have to be people of faith to, to care about people. You don't have to be a religious person. You can be an atheist. You can be an agnostic. And you can care for other people. But as a Christ follower, it's not up to debate. It's not even an option. It's what we're called to do, that in our hearts there has to be a shift from the things we used to value to having new value in God and others. And he says this, right, Jesus told him, do this, love God and love people. And he says, you're going to live, you're going to have eternal life. And the man, watch this, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, uh, so who's my neighbor? Like, because... Come on, we all know some people we don't want to love. So he's like, I'm good with loving my homeboys, and I'm good loving with my girl. I'm good loving my girl, and I'm good loving my kids, but that neighbor, uh-uh. That, that person in my family, I'm out. So he's looking to figure out how can I still value what God values, but like what's the, like, what's the way out? Because there's people I don't want to love. Anybody here know some people you don't want to love? Come on. Some of you threw your hand up way too quick, like right here. I got a list. It's right here on my phone. <laughs> so this guy says, hey, I know the right thing to do. I know what I'm supposed to value, but there are some people that I feel like don't qualify to be loved. So you tell me, Jesus, like, who's my neighbor? Because in my mind, like, I've singled some people out. In the mind of a Jew, a neighbor is a proximity word. And what they would decide is, is who lives close enough to me, who's close enough relationally to me, and if you're close enough to me, you live by me, because I can decide by where I live, and who's close enough relationally to me, because I can decide who gets a front row seat to my life, then I can decide who I love. And Jesus shifts it and says, it's not just about proximity of who you decide to be next to, but who I put in your life. Mm, that's, see, that's something totally different. So Jesus, he goes on and he says this, in order to qualify or quantify, who's a neighbor, who... Who are you and I supposed to love? Who are we supposed to value? He says this in verse 30. Jesus goes on to tell this parable to help us understand what we're called to treasure. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. 
They stripped him of his clothes. They beat, up, uh, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Verse 33. Come on, y'all read this part with me. Then a despised Samaritan came along. He saw the man. He felt, come on, say it, compassion. See, if you know the story, and again, I'm not going to spend too much time here because Pastor Adam did a stellar job covering this, but we just need to understand that in the eyes of Jewish people, Samaritans, they were outcasts, they were subhuman, and this guy comes on the scene, and Jesus makes him an unlikely hero. The last person to do, wait a minute, Jews, a Jew is like, there's no way a Samaritan is going to do more right than I do because we are God's people. And Jesus sets it up and says, listen, you've been making exceptions about who you're going to love. And the unlikely hero in the story, this Samaritan, he steps up and does the right thing. And he goes and he loves. And the Bible actually makes this emphasis. Jesus emphasizes this word, despised. He's a despised Samaritan. The way people viewed him was no way he's ever going to do the right thing. I just want everybody here to know something today that uh, even if nobody can see good, you can be good. If nobody sees something in you, it doesn't mean there's not anything in you. People might look at you and say, you'll never do that. You'll never achieve that. You'll never rise that. You'll never become that. But just because people can't see it doesn't mean it's in there. We can never live down to people's perception. We got to rise up to our potential. There is greatness in you. There's destiny in you. There's purpose in you. There's potential in you. God saved us, called us, filled us for a greater reason than we could ever see in ourselves. Just because people don't see good doesn't mean you don't have to be good. Come on. So he's a despised Samaritan. He comes along, and he saw the man. He felt compassion for him. We're going to roll through this real quick. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, here Jesus concludes it, and he asks this question to this expert of the law. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Right? It has nothing to do with proximity. This guy on the road didn't live next to the Samaritan. He wasn't in relationship. He wasn't a family member, the Samaritan, to this guy on the road. Because that was the exception the Jew was looking for. That's the exception this professor of the law, like, he's not really close to me. He goes this, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy, obviously. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Yeah. See, ultimately, it's not about how much we know, it's about what we do. It doesn't matter how many notes we take, no matter how many things we write down, doesn't matter how many sermons we listen to. What really quantifies us as Christ followers is not what we believe, but how we live. Yeah. And what he's saying is, listen, you're a, pro you're a professional in the law. You, you knew the answer all along. You knew the answer was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors. You knew the answer. The problem is you ain't living it out. So go do it. Don't quit talking about it. Quit learning more about it. Quit hanging out, just reading it, and go do something with what you know. Go and be this unlikely hero, and go be the good Samaritan. See, this question, or this story, it answers like, some of the big questions. Who are we supposed to love? I heard someone say it this way, there are no loopholes in love. Like, there are no exceptions. There are no ways. I, like, you can't say, well, I don't love that person. I don't love that person because they hurt me. I don't love that person because of how they look, dress, think, act, whatever. I don't love that group of people. I don't love that type of person. There are no loopholes in love. Come on, somebody. 
It doesn't just tell us who we're supposed to love. It tells us clearly how we're supposed to love him, that sometimes love has a price. Aren't you glad when Jesus found out the price to save us, he didn't back down because it cost something? See, love is not cheap. Love, if you're going to love, come on, I have found out loving a woman, love is expensive. Love does have a price tag. I don't care what she said. Honey, you don't ever have to buy me anything. Try not buying her anything. See how that works out. Come on. You don't ever have to give me flowers. Don't ever get her flowers. See how that flies. Come on, love has a price. Do you know the Bible makes it very clear that sin costs us a price and Jesus paid the price that he didn't have to pay? Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us to redeem us and to make us his children. Is anybody here thankful that even though love had a price, we're grateful that Jesus paid the price for you and I? Come on, is anybody here grateful today? Jesus paid the price that love demanded. And so when you look at this parable, right, again, the, the question was, who's my neighbor? Like, how are we supposed to love? Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. We're called to love people in, pa- in our path in spite of the price tag. We are called to love people in our path. Who's your neighbor? It's whoever God puts in your path, which means it might be the same person that's lived next door to you for 20 years. They're in your path. Or it might be the person, just like in the story, you've never seen him before. You've never met him before. God just brings him on your radar. It's a new guy the company hired. It's somebody driving down the road who needs help on the side of the road. Is somebody God just brings in your life. So it has nothing to do with proximity, how close you are living by them or how close you are relationally. It's how close God brings them into your life, whether for a season, short or long. And it's got a price tag. What God calls us to invest in people, to help people, it might be costly, right? We're in this series um, today. We're finishing up soundtrack, and we open with the song um, Fix Me. Man, again, man, our, our band has just been stellar. Holy cow, Coldplay, they nailed it. And it's this idea, right? Fix me. Well, here's the question. Why don't we fix people more? I say fix people. I mean, like, why don't, why don't we invest resources in helping people? Why are we so quick to say no? Why is it so easy to look the other direction? Come on, we have all, I have been there as a pastor. I'm going to stand on this platform, and I'm going to admit, I love helping people. I love being there for people. I love ministering to people, praying with people, sacrificing. But there are some times I don't want to do it, and I see you in Walmart, but I acted like I didn't see you, and I went the other way. I just said it. Boom. I just said it. I just admitted it. Come on, and don't act like I'm the only person that didn't act like they didn't see, that act like they didn't see somebody. I'd be weird. Be honest, lift a hand, seen somebody and acted like you didn't see them. Come on. Oh, it's like, good Lord, that's an hour conversation right there, and I just came for milk and bread. <laughs> Honey, where you been? Ran into her. Like, you ain't got to say her name. Everybody knows who it is. <laughs> right? But here's, here's, why don't we invest? Come on, think about this. Why don't we invest? Why don't we Put resources in fixing people, helping people, because it costs something. And man, we're too busy about us and investing in us, and we're too busy about pulling. Like, my life is busy enough. I don't have time for other people. I got enough bills. I don't have money to give other people. And so, man, the challenge and the call to fix people, man, that's big. But again, you got to get this. We are called to love people in our path in spite of the price tag. And so here's where we're going to go for a few minutes. And I want you to see this. Anytime you read a parable, anytime you read a parable, and I've taught this before, you've got to ask a couple questions. When Jesus teaches a parable, you have to ask two questions. Who is Jesus in the parable, and who am I? Who is Jesus in the parable, and who am I? And the reason why, because when Jesus teaches parables, he's trying to teach spiritual truths in a way that we understand. He's trying to take kind of heavenly language and put it in a way that everyday people speak. 
is trying to teach us something about who God is. Like, what is God like? What's his character like? What are his expectations? And he's trying to teach us something about us that sometimes we don't, we're not quick to pick up on or we're not quick to see. He'll teach us things in parables about us, about that our actions sometimes have consequences. And sometimes he's teaching us in parables about the value we have, whether we see it or not, whether anybody's ever paid us that kind of value or compliment or whether we've ever felt it ourselves that there we have, all of us in this room, we have an intrinsic value. And so Jesus teaches us these parables to help us understand something about God and something about ourselves. And I want to be clear, I want us to be super clear that what I'm about to say doesn't take away from the, uh, the whole meaning of the parable. The goal of the parable that Jesus teaches is who's your neighbor and how do you love them? And our neighbor is anybody in our path and we love them by paying the price tag, okay? So that what I'm about to say doesn't take away from the, from the whole meaning of the parable. But now let's ask the question. Who, is, who am I in the parable? See, I'm not just called to be the Samaritan. I don't know about you guys, but I'm the guy laying on the side of the road that's been, that's been beat up, stripped, and left for dead. I wish somebody would help me today. Has anybody here ever been in a relationship and you got beat up, stripped, and left for dead? Like anybody here ever had their heart wrecked by somebody? And man, you just didn't even want to go on with your life sitting, sitting on the front porch with your, with, your, with, your, uh, with your iPhone on a song on repeat, weeping. Come on, I wish somebody would help me today. Anybody here ever have been devastated because what you thought was going to work out, what you hoped, what you planned for, what you went to school for, it didn't work out and you weren't sure you had a future. You weren't sure tomorrow was going to happen. Anybody here have your family fall apart? Someone caught up in addiction, someone caught up in brokenness. Anybody here ever go through divorce? See, everybody in this room has been in a place where we felt like we were stripped, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road and there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves. But thankfully, who am I in the parable. I'm the guy laying on the side of the road and I can't get up. Thankfully, Jesus, the good Samaritan, came along and rescued me. Look what it says here. I love this. Go back in the parable, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. You know, the Bible says over and over again that the Jews despise Jesus. Come on. I'm thankful, I'm thankful even though he was despised by others, even at times in my life despised by me. Jesus didn't respond to me the way I responded to him. He didn't respond to me out of my character. He responded to me out of his character. Come on. And he's a despised, but he showed up and he came along. Watch this. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion. You say, Pastor, how can you see Jesus in the parable? I don't know how you can't see him. But almost every time Jesus sees groups of broken people, you know, the Bible says, and he had compassion. He had compassion. Jesus sees lame people and he had compassion. Jesus sees sick people and he had Compassion. Jesus comes along groups of people that lose his loved ones, and Jesus had compassion. He sees this guy. He saw me laying on the side of the road, beat up, stripped, and left for dead. And Jesus had compassion on me. And watch this. It says, he felt compassion for him, and going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandage him. See, I don't know if you all see this very clear. If you've not been in church, you're new to church, new to spiritual things, it's very hard to see this. If you are very familiar at all with the Bible, you've read much, like this thing comes to life. Because I don't know about you, there's only two things that could have got me up. 
It wasn't a pat on the back. It wasn't a, it wasn't a friend giving me a hand. The only thing that will ever get you off the road where you are stripped, beaten, and left for dead are two things, the oil and the wine. You know what they stand for? They stand for the wine is the blood of Jesus. We take it every single month here at Faith Church, represented in communion. It represents the cup. The cup, Jesus said it's the new covenant in my blood. The thing that saved me, the thing that forgave me is only the blood of Jesus. I couldn't forgive myself, fix myself, heal myself, deliver myself, but it is a free gift available to every person here. Jesus laid down his life and he shed his blood so we could be free. You know the thing that's going to get you up is the blood. You know the thing that's going to get you off the road is the blood. You know the thing that's going to save us and set us free is Jesus. His blood shed for us. And it's not just the blood, it's the oil. You know what the oil represents in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. See, I love it because y'all got to see this. Because I've been where maybe a lot of you are, and sometimes I find myself there where I wonder, can God really love me? Can God really do that for me? And sometimes I have to qualify my life to somehow feel like I've earned it, feel like I measure up. And I love this because this guy didn't do anything, couldn't do anything to qualify for the oil and the wine. See, the oil, the Holy Spirit, is what happens that every single one of us, what, what makes us new, what makes us a new creation, what gives us a new beginning is the Spirit of God that comes and lives on the inside of you. And Jesus shows up, finds people like you and I, beaten, broken, and bruised, and he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives to us what we could never earn. He gives to us what we could never qualify. It's a free gift, and it's the sacrifice he made on the cross of Calvary that gave us and offered us his blood for our sin and the Holy Spirit inside every person. I just want you to know here today that if you find yourself in a tough situation, I want you to know that God is more than willing. He's looking for you. And if you'll say, here I am, he will find you. He will patch you up. He will cover you over. He'll heal you wounds. It's one of the reasons he said he came. In Luke chapter 4, he said this. He said, I came to bind up brokenhearted people. I came to set at liberty those who are bound up and captive. Come on, I wish somebody would help me. I know I'm preaching a little bit hard and different, but I just believe that God is the one who can save and deliver and heal people. And so Jesus, he shows up on the side of the road and he catches this guy and fixes him up, patches him up, sets him on his donkey. And this is really, I said all that, check this out, to get here. Because you got to ask yourself the question, every parable, who am I? Who is Jesus? Who am I? Who is Jesus? It was clear when you start looking at the parable through that lens, not forgetting the first meaning that we are called to love our neighbors without exception, no loopholes, and it's going to, cost, have, it's going to have a price. That Jesus is the one who finds us broken and beaten on the side of the road. He's the good Samaritan. And I'm going to say it this way. I was the person on the side of the road. I'm no longer. Yeah, See, because there's another person introduced in this parable, and you've got to ask yourself, well, who is that? Check this out. Verse 34, then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Check it out, verse 35. This is we're going to hang for a minute. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Every voice here, read this with me, every voice. The next day he, the good Samaritan, handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. One of the things you find in, in many of the parables that Jesus tells and you find this at least five that I can count, at least five, is you find Jesus telling these parables, and he starts it this way. There was a rich man, 
and he traveled to a far country. There was a banker, and he went on a long journey. There was a, there was a, a, a vineyard owner, and he traveled and went on a long vacation. Almost a lot of the parables that Jesus teaches has the same pattern. There was a guy, and he left for a while, and he's coming back. Come on, somebody. He was here, and he left for a while, and he's coming back. I want everybody here to know something because let's not forget what we believe is Christ follows. We don't just believe that Jesus came and was born. We don't believe he just died on the cross and rose from the dead. We believe because he declared he is coming back. So he said, watch. So I want you to see this pattern here. I want you just to see this right here. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Why? Because he was leaving. And what did he tell him? Take care of this, man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here because he's coming back. So here's Jesus. So it's very clear Jesus is the Samaritan who finds broken, hurting people. And he does what only he can do. Only he can pour out blood and wine. But then he puts the people that just got saved on the back of a donkey and takes them to the innkeeper. Here's the question. Who's the innkeeper? See, because... You can't stay the wounded cat on the side of the road your whole life. At some point, you got to decide, I, have been, I was broken, but I've been bandaged. I was on the side of the road, but now he picked me up and set me free. See, what makes the church the church, what makes us a group of people who love people, is we stop playing the victim and we start playing our part that we are called to be the innkeeper to love people. Come on, somebody. Now, remember, I already told you on the front end what it costs to love people. Love people is anybody God puts in our path, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a price tag. It's gonna, we're going to have to pay the price. Notice what he says here. He says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Now, I teach this over and over and over, and one day y'all are going to get it. God never puts anything on, in his word by mistake. Every word has meaning. Every, why didn't he say three coins? Why didn't he say five coins? Why didn't he say one coin? Why did he say two coins? There's a reason. Because every number in Scripture has a meaning. The number two, the number two means relationship. It means community. The same way it was Adam and Eve, two. The same way the animals went on the ark, two by two. The same way Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs of two. The reason he gave them two coins is because what Jesus is trying to call our attention to in a subtle Jewish way that our Western American mindset can easily miss is this. What God calls us to is it's not enough just to get picked up on the side of the road. At some point, at some point, the way we're going to really be the church, the way we're really going to make a difference in this world is we understand we can't do this thing alone. We can't just make it about me and mine. I just can't make it about my schedule and my, my appointments and what my budget calls. But sometimes i got to think outside of myself. i got to invite people in the process. i got to get in companionship and relationship. That means, listen to this, watch this. He says he gives them two silver coins. And he says, take care of this man. He says, I want you to take care of, I want you to have responsibility of somebody other than yourself. Now, does anybody, let me be honest, ask a question. Does anybody here feel like they have extra time, extra money? Anybody here feel like they have extra for others? No. I have two daughters and a wife and a son. I barely got extra for me. (laughs) Time, pastor a very large growing church. I have a family. I've got things I like to do. Time for other people, I don't have it. But what I want you to notice, what Jesus calls us to, is it's not really an option. Notice this. He says, take care. Does that sound like a question? Does it sound like an option? 
Does anybody here clearly see that Jesus is the Samaritan that rescued the man who brings him to us and commands us? Come on, say it. Take care. Take responsibility. Bring, allow, make room for someone else in your life other than just the people who you consider a neighbor. He says, I want you to take care of him. I want you to, again, here's the question. Remember the question that God asked Cain, hey, man, where's your brother Abel after he killed him? And he asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? What Cain was saying is, God, are you, are you telling me it's my responsibility to take care of other people? And the answer is yes. And it's not easy, and it's costly, and it's, and it's expensive. It's going to cost you time to love people. And if, if we're going to be the church, at some point we have to realize that God is going to bring people here. God's going to put people. When I say here, I don't mean just to this building. I mean in your life. And maybe they're saved, but they're still broken. See, because I found out you can be on your way to heaven and still not have it all together. You can know Jesus and still know what it means to go through some tough times. And I believe that God brings people into our path that we can help them to learn, understand, and grow the things we've come through. That even though resources are tight, I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a lot of money. God commands me and calls me and calls us as faith church to take what we have and invest it in other people getting better. Come on, somebody. That that's what our call is as the church. We say it this way all the time. We have four core values, reach, connect, grow, serve, that save people, serve people. If we have been saved, then we are no longer the person on the road. I've been saved. I'm not on the road anymore. Now I'm called to serve people. And serving people costs something. Serving people is going to be a sacrifice. Serving people means sometimes i got to talk to people I don't want to talk to. Pray with people that sometimes get on my nerves. Go up and show up at people's house. Let, yesterday, we sent a group of people from Faith Church to help a family in this church tearing out bathrooms. You know why? Because they're in need and they don't have the resources to do it themselves. It means all of us paying attention to the people that are put in our path by God to love them even when it costs something. It means opening up what we think we have a limited resource of because God makes the promise, listen, if you pour out, I don't want you to fret it. I'm going to give back when I come. There's no sacrifice you will ever make that God will not repay. Here's what's funny is I, I had a conversation uh, this past week with, with an investment guy. I'm 46. When you're 20, you don't think any, anything about retirement. 20s, 30s, early 40s. 46, I thought, when people in their 60s, if you're 60, don't take exception to this. I'm right behind you. But when you're 20, you 60-year-olds look like they're about 100. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you're 40, now people who are, like, driving, they look like elementary school kids. Like, should he be driving? Does his mom know he took the car out of the garage? Like, if, I, at some point, like, I got to get ready for retirement. Like, I got to get ready. So I've been having conversations. So I called this guy in, and here's what he said. He said, he said, Steve, listen. He said, he said, it's funny. He said, people tend, when they're making investments, to keep watching their investment, watching, keep waiting for returns. And sometimes if you watch too much, you get disheartened because it looks like you're putting money in and losing it. He said, but you got to be in for the long haul. You got to be in for the long haul. And he said this. He said, because the market always brings returns. And then he said this. And I agree with everything he said. He said that, he said, well, sometimes not always, because if the market, the market could crash, and if it crashes, we're all in trouble. But there is one market that will never crash. And I promise you, it will always bring returns. That as you 
take resources. You take what you have, your time and your treasure, and you invest it in people around you, and you invest it in the ministry of Faith Church. As we pull together, because God's going to bring people in our path. He's going to give us the responsibility of taking care of them. Again, what's going to cost us something? He says, I want you to get, I want you to get caught in the moment of how much it's costing you. I want you to focus on the future when I'm coming back. Because Revelations, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And he says this, and my reward is with me. What's the reward? The reward is to pay back with interest. <laughs> to pay back with interest every sacrifice you'll ever make to love the people that God puts in your path. So while love has a price, it also has a return on the investment. I heard a great story. Um, in January, I was hanging out with a group of pastors, and there's a pastor friend of mine. He pastors a great church in, uh, in Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. His name is Sullivan McGraw. Sullivan McGraw, we got to spend time in, uh, I think, Tanzania, Lesotho. We were in another country for a couple weeks and got to know him well, his family. And uh, he comes to this gathering every year. Well, last year, uh, Sullivan wasn't there. So when I seen him this year, I'm like, Sullivan, man, where you been? I said, I missed you last year. How are things going? He said, well, you didn't hear. He said, my kidney, my kidney started shutting down. He said, I've been having kidney problems for a number of years. And he said, I've done dialysis. Uh, and he said, man, I, I reached the place where I was about to die. And he said, they've been looking for a kidney for me, looking for a kidney for me. Finally, when it got to the place I was about to die, he said, since I didn't have to have one earlier, my family never volunteered. But he said, when it got to the place that I was about to die, my family came in. They tested all of my family members to find a match. There was no match on the registry. Every single one of his family members failed the match. There was one person who came in. It was a girl, a lady now, that him and his wife had adopted when she was six years old from a broken home. And Sullivan told me the story. He said, Steve, he said, I remember when we brought her into our home. We didn't have the money for her. We didn't have the room for her. We just felt like God called us to take her in. And so we loved her and we provided for her and we raised her and we sent her to school and now she's a successful young adult. And so she came in and was tested. Was the only person found to be a match and gave him one of her kidneys. You want to talk about an investment on a return? Man, I stood there like, wow. So throughout, throughout Scripture, throughout, throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, over 30 times, God calls us to love each other, love each other, love one another. It's these terms, each other, one another, each other, one another. Love one another, give to one another, bear one another's burdens, exhort one another, encourage one another. I love Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley said it this way, that we're to one another, one another. Well, that, co that costs something. That costs me time I feel like I don't have. Sometimes to help bear your burden, to love you the way you need love, sometimes that costs me money I feel like I don't have. But here's the call for all of us in this room. We have to move away from the culture of me and mine and move into the culture of his and ours. It's his. It's his kingdom. It's his people. And what we have, come on, I wish everybody here, as we get ready to close this today, does anybody here feel like I'm not in this with me alone, but we're in this thing together to impact the city, to win some people, and to change an eternity? I believe it's ours together. And so here's a couple questions, and I'll close. 
going all the way back to where I started. What if God wanted you to invest in people the way we invest in our lawns? I already told you, $1,200 a year. About 100 hours a year. Now, some of you give way more than that. Some of you have not even begun. What if we took as much pride in helping people as we did in manicuring our lawn? We should. And what if we got our status from helping people instead of how our lawn looked? Because we do. When God looks at what we have, there's nothing wrong with mowing our lawns. I hope you all hear my heart. Nothing wrong with taking care of your yard. But at the end of the day, man, I think it's time that we, that we treasure what God treasures. And we put our treasure in the things we treasure. So what would happen if we shifted as a church and we became the innkeeper and said, God, whoever you put in my path, whoever you bring my way, it's going to cost me something. I'm not sure when you're coming back, but I'm going to love and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to invest. I'm going to take advantage of conversations you put me in this week. I'm going to leverage relationships you bring me into. Even if it's someone I'm just passing by on the road for a moment, I'm not going to let one pass by. As a church, we're not going to let people pass by. Broken people who walk through these doors, hurting people that are looking for people just to put an arm around them, to love them, to speak life over them, to speak hope to them. God, as a church, we're going to be that kind of end you can send people to. Because, God, we want to treasure what you treasure. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, God, all over this room today that, Lord, there would be a shift in our hearts. God, it's okay to love some of the things we love, but, Lord, I pray what we are called to love the most, we will love the most. God, help us to love people. God, help us to love, uh, Father, others around us. Lord, without exception, Lord, there's no loopholes in love. God, help us to love every person. And, God, to pay the price to love the people that you put in our path. Father, you did it for us. God, help us to pass it on, and God, do it for others. So, Lord, make us alert this week. God, make us aware of the people in our path. God, to make the big play to help fix people. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees, said amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for a brand new series.